Good evening and welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, where tonight we'll continue our discussion on membership, retention, and engagement with Fair Warfare Brother Zane McCune. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren all, welcome to the Working Tools Podcast, a casual conversation around Freemasonry. First, it's important to note that our thoughts and opinions are our own and do not reflect those of our Grand Lodge or respective craft or concordant bodies. Please connect with us and ask questions via our website at theworkingtoolspodcast.com. Tonight, we're joined by our regular hosts from the Grand Lodge of British Company and Yukon, Worship Brother Steve Chung and Worship Brother Jared Dunham. Uh, we're missing one of our other regular hosts, Matt Apple. Very Worship Brother Matt Apple is again out with family. And I'm David Colpeth, Master Mason here in the Grand Lodge of Washington. We're joined again by Very Worship Brother Zane McCune to continue our conversation about membership, retention, and engagement. Uh, we're diving in pretty deep into the retention and engagement piece of it, uh, talking about Andrew Hammer's book, Observing the Craft. On our previous show, we kind of covered about, the, about half of the eight important steps that he talks about in engaging and retaining members. And so we're going to continue that conversation. Uh, one of his elements is he talks about how officers and selection advancement of officers. And it's an interesting piece. Zane, do you want to dive into that? Sure. Yep. Um, so, you know, his point to his book, uh, if you, if, you know, when you get a chance to read his book to, to the listener out there, when you get a chance to read his book, he, he will tell you that, uh, the, the, the progression that you know, like the progressive line is an innovation in masonry that the whole, the whole idea that you automatically get to take the next chair, just because you sat in the previous chair, um, it was not only was that not, not the way that it was originally done, but that has been a disservice to the craft by and large. And it is hard to argue with that idea. Although, um, you know, when we sat down and said, well, could we just elect a whole brand new line every single year, you know, from soup to nuts. And well, I mean, by the time people move around and leave and take another job and, you know, you know, sometimes you do end up doing that. Um, but I think that there is some benefit of, at least our interpretation was that there's some benefit of having a little bit of consistency and some planning, uh, with some lead time. So what we did in our lodge was try to strike a balance between this idea that, uh, it shouldn't have to be a progressive line and what we, what we called, um, you know, earning your chair you know, up the line. So we still have a progressive line, although it's not, it's really only from, uh, it's really just the last three, it's just really just the last three chairs. No one really talks about this, you know, progressive line all the way down to the junior steward as if you were going to, you know, wind through all seven chairs uh, automatically. Um, although I know other lodges, you know, that's how they define it. And we're not saying that we go out of our way not to define it that way. It's just, the only, the only place in our lodge where we're really sort of expecting the brother to take the next step is the senior deacon to the junior warden and junior warden to senior warden and then the senior warden to advance. And um, uh, although in our lodge, there needs to be this element that he's earning that, that next step. And so uh, how does he do that? Well, he does that by participating in officer meetings. And so you're 
now actively involved and engaged in the lodge's direction. Um, we do that by having him confer a degree. So he's clearly stepping up on and tackling ritual work along the way. Uh, he's, com he's completed his proficiency in lodge management and, you know, becoming involved. So he's not just uh, sitting there like a bump on the log, assuming he's going to move to the next chair. He's, he's actively engaged and involved. And if he's doing that in our lodge, that's, that's what we're asking of him. And that's what he's, he's performing. Then, you know, of course we would want him to be, you know, advancing through those chairs. And so it's, you know, and maybe the other thing that we did in our lodge, and we try really hard to get away from the idea of using this, this, uh, this uh, narrative of it's his term. So it's Dave's term, or it's Steven's term, or it's Jared's term. Uh, ours, in our lodge, we try to just say, uh, it's our term, because every year it is our term where we're, we're a lodge, we're working on our we're working on our lodge and always trying to make it better. Um, if we, if we at least trying to get away from saying it was David's year. Okay. So that means David's in charge of, you know, carrying this entire burden, <laughs> you know, Oh, then it'll be Steven's turn to carry this entire load. And, you know, if you've looked around lodges where you see the past master, maybe he's burnt out and he doesn't, and he, you know, maybe takes the year off or you don't, or, or maybe you don't see him. It was happening in our lodge. Like you'd have a, we'd have a past master and then he, and then he would, he dialed back in his involvement. Well, that's probably because he's, you know, burnt out. And why is he burnt out? Well, everybody's expecting him to do everything. Well, why? Because it was his term. So we just tried to unwind some of that and say, it's our term. We're all here to help. You know, you're the one that's leading the meetings. You're the one that's putting the craft to work. There's decisions that you're going to have to make, but you don't have to make every signal decision, nor, nor should you. You know, that's not the whole point. You're putting the craft to work, not, you know, doing everything for the craft. Is there a sense of when that changed the idea of the progressive line? When, when did it change to become a standard? I know in the fifties, when, especially in the United States, anyway, after world war II, there was a massive influx of membership. And I know the guys, when I've talked, when I've asked some of the guys how it worked in the fifties, essentially late forties and early fifties. And they said it was just a degree machine. Really mm -hmm. we just, all you could do was just to organize enough degrees to get the guys through. And so you're constantly doing degrees, constantly doing degrees. And you had three, four, five guys stand up for the station, whatever that was. And so I, I wonder if that's when the progressive line, or was it much earlier? Any sense yeah. of that? I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. I don't really have a good, good feel for that. Um, I don't you know, know if you're talking about that at all. Yeah. But I think, you know, in this, you know, we're, if you go to the, like I said, if you go to the book, it's, you know, Andrew would say, well, you should just elect your officers based on their, uh, based on their merit. And what we're trying to do is put some definition behind what is that merit so that we can have a logical progression of election. And we're just trying to strike a balance is all we're, we're trying to do. Um, we, we, you know, the fifth, the fifth, uh, uh, step, um, was, was a tire. And I think we kind of got into that. Uh, did we get into that a little bit at the, be, uh, at the beginning of the last did, segment, right? Yeah, we do. We were talking about your degrees and what you wear and we, we have a whole other segment on pause about the apron thing, but no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a resolution that comes up over and over and over again in our grand lodge about yeah. aprons and wearing and all that kind of stuff. I guess the whole I, the whole idea, and maybe the sh the short of it is just to put something into this segment is just that um, 
whatever your lodge chooses, the idea that everybody is wearing the same thing so that they that they are identifying as part of the team, part of the lodge, whether that's a tuxedo, whether it's a black suit, whether that's the the railroad lodge that we have here up in Skycomish where they all wear their, you know, the railroad uh, uh, shirt kind of uh, looking thing, which is really cool. Everybody's wearing it. So that's their that's their that's their attire. Every company has a dress code. And so sure. you should have some kind of dress code. I don't want to say when it was my year, but we established during my term, I established a dress code, the code that I would prefer. How everybody, like you said, they would wear a suit and tie or a tux preferably or a black suit with a bow tie. If they yeah. couldn't get a tux for degrees and other lodge meetings, it was a dark suit. I took that from the lodge officer's handbook. It wasn't something I was creating. Yeah. But we've had guys show up in our lodge uh, for the first time in a tuxedo. They've been wearing a black suit and, or a suit, whatever they had. And then, and then there's this little saunter that they have when they come in for the first time in a tuxedo and, and they look good. <laughs> you're like, brother, you're looking pretty sharp tonight. And he's like, you know, it's straightening his bow tie. And there's, there's a little bit of like, you know, another step up for him in that, in that, in that process. So, but uh, you know, there was other things we did. Uh, we created our own lodge custom pin. A lot, a lot of lodges have that. So they have their own pin. They have, we have our own name badges. Um, we bought our, 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 um, new, uh, volume of the sacred law, uh, markers that are all embroidered. Um, and, uh, just, just to try to give some more identification around, this is our kind of our lodge look, and that's the idea behind, behind a tire. And that's how we, that's how we incorporated that, that, uh, step. Well, it, it, it's a it's a very loose assimil- uh, continuation. Uh, we we had a discussion a couple of shows ago about uh, the the attraction of new members to lodges, and didn't mean wasn't talking about age or anything, but in general. And Jared had a good point that we are the lodge. We talked about the idea that yes, there's we 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 just, when we a lot of us when we say the word lodge, we think of the building temple, but the temple mm-hmm. is one level. The lodge is the group of members. And then the individual people are the ones representing it. And he was, Jerry was talking about how you know, he likes to wear his square and cup of stuff. I know there was some apprehension in some kinds for some guys. And like Steve was saying that he wanted to buy another Masonic shirt. And his wife said, well, don't you have enough Masonic shirts? And well, if we're proud to be Masons, we should look, <laughs> so it, we should take, we should take this idea of dressing your best for a lodge also into our personal life, dress the best sure. as you go out. And it's a proven fact and any sales or any dress for success type of education you learn, the nicer you dress, the better you feel, the more you present yourself. And as you said, you kind of sit up a little more straight and you have a yeah. swagger. Well, and, that's, well, and, that, and that is the, 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 the abstract. It's the, it's the, what we're charged with doing is taking what we learn inside the lodge and bring it to the outer world, not the other way around. And there, I think that's a, that's an application of that. So there's some guys that maybe have never gone through that in their professional uh, development. And so they're getting some of that to some extent in, in the lot, just like standing up in public speaking, maybe it's not public, public, like, you know, it's a private meeting, but standing up in front of, you know, 20, 30, 40 guys, maybe they've not done that before or, or, or had the opportunity to take a little more of a leadership role. So, you know, you're learning something in the lodge and you're taking it to the outer world. Well, there's, there's something special that you feel when you dress differently than you do during your normal day. Yeah. Um, I know that like in my, in my year, when I was master of the lodge, I instituted the, 
we start when we were opening and closing, all officers wore their gloves. And it's mm-hmm. just something, just that little bit of something extra special to see all the officers wearing white gloves as they're opening and closing the lodge. It's just, yeah. And, and everyone sort of felt better as we did it as well. Yep. It's, 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 it's putting on the, it's, it's putting on the, the uniform, like, you know, yeah. that, extra, um, that extra sharpness, you know, sure. That's why, that's why we do it. Uh, I think, I think the point of that is to open up that dialogue within your lodge to talk about, you know, what, what is, what is our lodge going to do? What's our approach to this and not leave it to just uh, happenstance. Well, the whole t- point of that is to put some intention behind it. So that's what you talk about at an officer meeting. Well, what do we talk about? We talk about these kinds of things. And as you talk about that, it ties in directly with the uh, number seven, the sense of awe in our ceremonies. And that if you just come in there and I know, unfortunately, there are some lodges out there that do degrees and flip-flops and sand, you know, shorts. And I've I wonder, seen it, yeah. I wonder how does that new man expect, if he was he really expecting that to be... Uh, <laughs> to go, I won't describe the process, but to be revealed that this is what was happening in the background. And so, yeah, to, to come in and put on your armor or to transform yourself from the outer world to the inner world, so to speak, in putting on your gloves or putting in your tux, uh, that, that creates that sense of awe. Yeah, that was, that's, yeah, it was that contemplative. Yeah. The sense of awe is I think what actually Andrew Hammer says, we've called it uh, contemplative atmosphere, but you know that's the same the same step that he's talking about. So our our um, you know I would say I, I call these elements. So what? How many elements do you use, and kind of what? How do you incorporate them? So in our lodge, uh, in fact, we just were talking. Our grandmaster was talking about music in lodge and how um, so many lodges now don't have a lodge musician, and so they basically don't have any music going on in the lodge. Well, that's a whole element that's now absent in most lodge experiences and how do you put that back in if you don't have a live musician not to dive into that you know that whole you know open up that topic uh and and segue but music um we we incorporate that to our lodge um even the way that uh we use incense at the beginning not during the 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 lodge meeting but for about an hour before the the meeting starts you know we we burn incense in there so even the sense of smell when you walk into our lodge room, it smells a certain way when, right? When lodges start. Yep, exactly. One of those senses. Uh, lighting, you know, when we when we run a meeting, uh, the lights come down, especially during opening, lights come down a little bit. You know, peop- it's not bright. It's like I've walked into lodges before where you could literally perform surgery. It's so bright. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that lodges are doing it wrong. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is in our lodge, we bring the lights down a little bit and it signals to the guys that the, we've just shifted again and it's now time to close the lodge. Um, it's even during a degree, it's much darker. You know, the whole thing is, uh, you know, way more serious. And guys aren't joking around when it's, you know, uh, lit candles and it's a little darker. That's you're even signaling. This is not a comical, um, you know, mood right now. <laughs> so uh, those are just, you know, that kind of creating that, that, uh, uh, that contemplative atmosphere. I've seen lodges, and I, 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 we've 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 done. We haven't really been successful in doing this in our lodge, and we haven't met for so long up until recently that some of this is just kind of dusting off the way we the way we were doing things. But um, uh, even before lodge started, what's the lodge room like? Is it all set up and ready to go? 
And so when you walk into the lodge room, are you able to kind of focus on what you're about to do? Or is it still very loud and kind of rambunctious isn't exactly the right word, but people are boisterous. And is that the tone of the lodge room even leading up to when the gavel drops? And so some of those things are are also just how do you bring a contemplative or sense of awe to the to the ceremonies? And that's how we're trying to address that. We, we used to have the new guy, and I know you've done this on the front end as well, even more extensively than we have, but the new guy used to come in and he'd go into the dining room and they would joke and chit chat about the game, whatever, before his degree. And I thought, we don't take it again, not to the extreme that you do and that he's kind of by himself, but we do immediately have the senior deacon now address him at the top of the stairs, take him right into the preparation room and go through his preparation process rather than going in and hanging with the guys before his degree. And so that helps with that ceremonial and that awe of, of the, the degree process as well, not just even before it begins. So his initial experience in that process is. Yeah. Contemplative. Well, another, another thing we did um, was on degree night and I don't know if other lodges are doing this, but um, so it's pretty common now in America to have a dinner before a, a meeting. Um, and, and in, on our degree nights, which are different than our meeting nights, we've actually moved the meal and kind of the refreshment stage after the degree. So to, in an, in an attempt to kind of keep the whole tone of the evening on the candidate and keep it kind of, you know, contemplative and awe-inspiring, we, we don't have anything going on before the degree actually starts uh, other than people arriving early to set up. But when the candidate arrives at our lodge, he's just brought into the Tyler's room and then brought back into the preparation room. Uh, and he hasn't, he doesn't get any, any interaction with any of the other brothers prior to the degree other than the Tyler. And then it's all very, you know, directive and, and, um, and instructive. There's no, Hey, did you see the Seahawks game? You know, there's no, there's no chit chat uh, that that's robs the, ex, you know, the candidate of that experience. And so there's plenty of time afterwards to unwind, but, uh, but that was another thing that we did just to, to kind of um, address the, the sense of awe to the, to the uh, uh, ritual work. You talk about how you have your agape or you have your dinners and whatnot, maybe after the degree, Mm -hmm. Uh, And you also mentioned in the other segment about bringing in speakers from around the area. Number six talks about the quality of the meeting or the assemblies and uh, be willing to pay for them. And so, you know, a lodge, you know, I remember we had a, we had a session, I don't know the episode number, Steve, but we had a discussion where we talked about dues and whatnot. And a lot of us, we, we had pulled all of our lodges in our district and there was a couple that were actually going backwards based on what they were taking in versus what they're paying out. Uh, And and, and I remember you were kind of joking, like, what do you mean you figure out what your dues are? Don't you know what your expenses are? And just divide it by the number of members there are. And that's your dues. I mean, yeah, (laughs) it it is a pretty, it is a pretty straightforward idea. What do you want to spend your money on? How much of it are you going to spend? And then what's your portion? Uh, And so, but the idea of increasing dues, I I'm on record many times of saying, I think our dues should be $1,200 a year, which would include a ticket to a quality education event, by the in the jurisdiction, as well as dues for uh, for the lodge and education ability uh, components and a great meal potentially and uh, events at the lodge. Mm-hmm. And so, is that kind of what he's talking about in quality assemblies, or is it something 
much different than that. Uh, no, I think that's in the spirit of what he's talking about. Uh, and Jared, I know you've also read this b- book as well. And so feel free to chime in. But my my interpretation of, of what Andrew's talking about here is if you're going to have a Masonic, if you're going to have a dinner, you know, that dinner should be well done. It shouldn't be uh, a kind of a hokey dinner, you know, halfway done. <clears throat> it's like, if you're going to do it, do it well. The and, not good enough. Come on. <laughs> well, here's the thing. If it's, if that's the event, you know, and it's a, it's an evening of brotherhood and, but no, you know, I think that kind of gets into the, the whole, like uh, what in our lodge, we call it right place, right time. You know, it's like, there's a night for a chili feed and it's a good, a good evening of brotherhood. And it's a lot of fun. Fantastic. Um, well, I, I don't, I don't think his issue is, at least from when I read it, what I took away from it was not so much what you serve, but how you serve it. Is that, yeah, that was going to have dinner, yeah. have dinner, have it on plates. I mean, I know that someone has to wash them, but when you're eating on paper plates with plastic forks, you know, it cheapens the experience for everyone. You know, yeah. and, and it, and, and it, it most lodge halls have a dishwasher, dishwashing machine. So, I mean, you know, and yeah, it sucks to be the last guy out who had to load it and unload the machine, but it's worse to have some a potential candidate or even a newly made Mason. They've just gone through this beautiful ceremony, you know, and if you, you know, your memory, you know, and, and if you've done it well, no one has stumbled, everyone knows their lines, and then they go, they sit down, and they get a cold ham and cheese sandwich on a paper plate served with coffee in a styrofoam cup and like it is such a letdown and i think yeah. that's what he's really <laughs> talking about is that you know quality in everything yeah. especially and from soup to nuts start to finish and and don't and then and, and don't be afraid to pay for it like that's going to cost money so i think you know well, yeah. the, the cliche the is putting thing? the free and free masonry not a, yeah. not, not a term i've coined we've all heard it lots of times but but that's the uh but where does that all kind of come from? And I think, you know, for lodges, you know, this is, I think, another thing that lodges are going to have to kind of grapple with. So if your lodge dues have been uh, $45 a year for a long time, and there are lodges that I've talked to that that is their, that is their due structure, um, you can't just, I, I think it would be, it might be a little bit of a hard press to just say, and by the way, we're all moving to $300 a year. Right. I'm not saying that there isn't room to increase. What I'm saying is, is you should expect the brothers in that lodge to say, what are we getting for increasing the dues from $45 to 300? Right. And to do that in one year and then not really have anything and deliver, I think you're, you're going to actually be taking a step backwards. So my recommendation for lodges is, is kind of a step up approach. It's so, you know, ask for an increase in dues pay for those events, demonstrate to the brothers that this is the progression, but to kind of take that to the next step, we're going to ask for another increase in dues and it's okay to do that. But I think that's, you're going to have a successful uh, implementation of that uh, if you ramp up rather than just sort of go for it, you know, one big step. At our lives right now, we're talking about doing um, a major increase to our dues just for that purpose, including <clears throat> four uh, catered meals per year, so one a quarter, or or at least uh, four events, mm-hmm. and uh, they're high class events for the wives uh, to be able to come, and uh, they're fully catered and served so that 
our guys aren't spending their time in the kitchen and it's going to be an optional, uh, an an optional buy-in on the annual dues uh, because there's some members who just can't come and uh, they can't make it at night because they're, you know, too, uh, too old and, and, uh, or have medical issues that prevent them from being able to come at night. And so we don't want to, burden them with the higher dues uh, to pay for those events that they can't attend. So yeah. we're, we're going to make it an optional thing. But it sounds uh, like what you're doing is you're being very clear what this extra money is going to go towards. And I yeah. think you yeah. have a better chance of being successful when you do that, but to just, you know, take a step up and, and then don't oh, trust us. We're, we're working on it. Isn't, isn't going to, you know, isn't going to fly um, no. as well. So uh, again, you know, Hammer's book, you know, kind of talks about those, these, these concepts, but I think, you know, what he's trying to, I think really, really get to is to have people talk about these things and how do they hit your lodge and how do you, uh, you know, breathe some life into these ideas. And so that's what I would encourage lodges to do. Andrew doesn't have a prescribed, this is what every, exactly what everybody should do. And if you just did this, you'd be successful. He's never made any claim like that before. He's saying, you should talk about this topic and you should come up with a plan because everything you do should have some intent behind it. And don't just leave it to circumstance, like have a plan and, you know, whatever that plan is, is great, but have a plan and you should talk about this topic. So. You know, if, if a master or a district uh, dr- education director doesn't know what to talk about, just read these seven, eight paragraphs in front of your lodge and say, what do you think? Start, start a dialogue right in your lodge. Wouldn't that be enough? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, each one of these is like, it's like having a map, but not having a route. You know, there, these are waypoints along the way. And how are we going to get there? So you think they're well worth unpacking, but that's why it's a bit of a manifesto or a call to arms. It's like they're... Um, you know, every, every lodge should be addressing these. Um, we talked a little bit about Masonic education at the beginning of the last segment. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, hit on this in this segment as well. But, you know, really, like, this is, this is the one thing that every lodge can provide to its members different than any other civic organization in the country. And yet, most of them don't step up and deliver some kind of Masonic education or they misunderstand what Masonic education really is. They'll say, well, we're going to read from the code tonight. And that's our Masonic education. And with all due respect, you you should be reading from the code. Masters of the Lodge are actually charged in our jurisdiction with with reading from the code when they are installed as worshipful master. But that's not really the education that brothers are, are leaving Netflix and their family and joining this organization. And that's not why they're coming down. They don't want to learn more about the rule book. They want to learn more about our craft. So what does the, let's talk about what is the circumambulation and why do we do it in our lodge? And why are we specifically reading and reciting this particular part during the circumambulation? What does that mean? And how does it tie into the degree? Way more of an open-ended question and Lots of interpretation and lots of discussion behind that, but that's something that's far more interesting to brothers than than reading from the code um, as your education for the night. Well, and that ties into the um, quality of ritual as well, because there's no point learning why something is if you actually don't know what it is you're talking about. Right. Uh, the the number of brothers who 
you know, don't understand the ritual because they don't know the ritual. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there was, and and not, not as much behind it. What does it mean? That's the other thing. I think a lot of guys, they might have it memorized, but do they know what it really means or or at least means to them? doesn't even have to be the meaning. Oh, right. I'm talking about there are brothers who don't even have it memorized. Yeah, for sure. Don't know the ritual. So when you start talking about the meaning behind the ritual, sure. Because they don't know what, what you're talking about. They don't know why you're talking about what you're talking about. Yeah, let's reroute them back to uh, step number two, which is learning proficient, being proficient in the ritual. Um, there was, there was, there was one other thing I wanted to touch on. You know, these are, uh, you know, um, again, we probably have all sorts of discussion around these eight things as they just open up and open up. And um, there was, there was one thing that our lodge did at the same time that we were reading this book and and um, and talking about these things. And it's not mentioned in Hammer's Andrew Hammer's book specifically although you might hint at it. Um, and that is the state of the lodge building. We talked about the lodge is a group of guys, but the lodge is also the lodge building. And if your lodge building is in, if it looks worn on the outside and it looks worn on the inside, people are going to assume that it's, it's an old dying uh, organization and there's, there's not gonna be the interest uh, in, in joining. And I'm sorry, this sounds sort of crass the way, the way that's phrased, but it, it, it's kind of true. I mean, you would like to say, don't judge a book by its cover, but you are the face of masonry in your community. And if your building doesn't look, you know, like it's even well-kept on the outside, why would anybody want to knock on the door and, and, and want to be a part of that? Um, one of the things that we did right at the very beginning was we just, we, we, we had somebody come and paint our building. So it looked really nice on the outside. We had all the landscaping redone, cleaned up the, the parking lot, repainted the, all the little markers. I mean, everything looked new. You know, it was an older building, but looked newer from the outside. And even within the next month that we had guys that stopped by and said, hey, I just moved to the area. I saw your building and I, I wanted to, you know, learn more about, you know, Freemasonry. And we're like, Whoa, <laughs> like, you know, that you have to deliver more than just a paint job on the outside of a building. But, but again, it's, you know, if you own a building, you know, it's an asset that you are charged with taking good care of, then you need to take good care of it. And if you're not willing to do that, then you probably should rethink that aspect of, of the, uh, of the lodge as well. Absolutely. It's a, it's the first indication we talked about that in our discussion on the interest, why is it, why aren't new, why aren't new men coming to the craft are same discussion I referenced earlier with Jared. We were talking about that. If your building has to look good as well, there's so many firsts, if you will, it's the guy on the street wearing his Masonic logo. Uh, it's the buildings, the temple itself has to look good. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, when I, I remember when I first joined, I was kind of in awe of the building, the idea of walking into this cool Masonic temple and being able to go in and as I looked around, I thought, yeah, it's 70s paneling and that's 1950s floor. And, you know, as I, as, as I, as the blur of the awe started to kind of subside, I thought, hmm, well, okay, I'll just take it for face value. And I had a good experience ultimately, you know, I didn't know any other different experience, but boy, if it had been, you know, yeah, anyway, we yeah, got a whole other segment. Well, it's, it's, you're just, you're the, you're the, you're the face, you're the, you're the, the building is the face. And you got to at least keep it looking nice. It doesn't have to be brand new. It doesn't have to be, 
uh, you know, diamond encrusted, but it has to be well kept and has to, has to, you know, uh, again, it's kind of paying for quality, you know, this paying for quality building, you know, I mean, there's a lot of application to paying for quality and what's quality. Well, the building is too. So, um, and some of the work we have to outsource and have contractors come in and do, and some of the work that we, that we do, we have the brothers do and, and, you know, what a great way for guys to show pride in their, in their, what, you know, their involvement and their membership, than them actually putting blood, sweat and tears into the building. They remember that stuff. I mean, it's hard to disassociate sweat equity with, you know, membership. So um, anyway, that's just, you know, uh, an extra plus one uh, <laughs> stuff plus that one. maybe eight plus one that maybe Andrew doesn't really kind of dive into, but I wanted to, wanted, wanted to mention as well. Well, we really, really appreciate you taking the time now to, again, it, as we've said many times, a regular guest, and we, we look forward to the next time that we're able to get together. And uh, what an amazing evening of talking about multiple evenings, talking about the quality things that we should do and could do as Masons to improve ourselves and our lodges and our temples uh, to be the, the key element in our communities, in our lives. Uh, on behalf of Stephen and Jared and myself, we really appreciate you coming on virtual Zane. And sure. uh, we also want to say thank you to our subscribers. And uh, if you have any, we'll, I'll try to put the link into the description for this eight steps and a link to Andrew Hammer's book and whatnot, his information. So if you'd like to learn more about that, we encourage you to delve into that. Thanks again on behalf of the Working Tools podcast. Have a great night.